0: on the news this week that was uh, really intriguing. Just outside a station in Rotterdam a metro train was left hanging balancing 10 meters above the ground on the plastic tail of a whale sculpture. The metro driver reportedly was able to free himself from the train without any sort of injury after the incident that, was, that happened um, uh, just shortly after min- midnight last Monday, uh, in the early hours of the morning. There were no passengers on board, but obviously it could have been uh, a, a very tragic thing, probably potentially endangering the life of the train driver, the metro driver. The author of the sculpture uh, was actually quite surprised that the the two tails emerging from the water beneath the elevated metro stop were actually being able to hold together that very heavy structure of the train. And it's amazing if you can Google it and get an aerial uh, photo of of it. It's just quite sensational. And it's just amazing that that piece of plastic stood for 20 years and was being able to hold something that it was never planned to do. It's a little bit like the turn of the story that we're gonna look at today as we continue our journey through the book of Ruth and we're continuing in Ruth chapter one. So if you've got a Bible with you, you might wanna have it open in Ruth chapter one. And just to set a little bit of the context from from last week, uh, we looked at the story of this Israelite family he was fleeing their homeland, actually moving not very far away, but 50 miles, but moving in enemy territory, moving in an area where the Moabites were living. And the Israelites and the Moabites really didn't get on very well together, and that's an understatement. And then tragedy strikes. First of all, the father of the family dies. And then in the course of time, the two sons who happened to marry Moabite women, they Die as well, so the the mom and the wife is, is left on her own with two daughters-in-law, and really, what happens in the next section of our story is a real surprise. Here we're finding some relationships that you never thought were going to stand the test of time, and yet they do. Incredibly powerful, resilient relationships, and the title of the message day is through thick and thin, and looking at commitment in the context of relationships. So here is where we pick up the story. In verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take her back to the land of Judah. When Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law go back each of you to your mother's home may the lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me may the lord grant that each of you will rest in the home of another husband and then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud if we want to see resilient relationships there is something in here that is incredibly powerful and that's a surprising selflessness that you see in naomi's life surprising selflessness now naomi has to make some decisions and she is confronted after the incredible grief of losing a husband and her two sons the only part of her family that would have been incredibly close to her for many many years finding herself in a foreign place and in an amazing way it says that when Naomi heard him that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She has to make a decision and she makes the right decision based on the fact that God is still in the picture for Naomi. In the midst of hardship and tragedy she has that revelation that God, this is what it says, God came To the aid of his people, providing food for them. So, the God that Naomi still has in the framework, although this may be incredibly foggy in terms of a relationship with God, and he seems to be distant, and perhaps even later on, we're gonna see she feels hard done by him. Nevertheless, God is still in the picture for her, and she makes her decision based on the fact that she has a revelation of God's provision. And presence with his people and that's enough for her to say I want to go back home. She is broken-hearted but God is still in the picture. She is battling grief because she'd lost everything. She probably is battling fear wondering what will come ahead of me. I am a woman who is a widow and has lost her husband and her sons, I have no financial income, and in a patriarchal society in that time, that would have been a very vulnerable place for a woman to be. She could have been filled with grief and filled with fear. She could have been battling loneliness, thinking, and you can tell by the words that she says to her daughters-in-law, she releases them and wants them to reform a family for themselves, but she could possibly embark on a road of loneliness as a widow with two sons who are buried. That would have been an incredible situation to find yourself in. I I can't even try to get my head around the amount of grief and fear and insecurity that this lady was facing. She could have made a very justifiable request. She could have said to them, girls, you benefited from having my sons as your husbands. Look at me, I'm on my own. Would you just take me in or stay with me or come with me? It could have been very justified. Nobody would have blamed Naomi. would have said, Naomi, you're being incredibly selfish by doing something like that. She could have done it, but she doesn't. And it's amazing to see in this lady this surprising selflessness. That when they offer to stay with her, she releases them to go back. And she doesn't just release them begrudgingly. She doesn't kind of say, okay then, just stay. No, she blesses them with incredible gratitude. Listen to her words. Naomi said to them, go back, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show your kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and me. She's blessing them with a heart filled with gratitude. She's thankful for them. And she releases them from any responsibility. And on top of it all, she is wishing the very best for them. She blesses them. She blesses them and asks the Lord to show them kindness and bless them with a great future ahead. That is absolutely mind-blowing, the selflessness that is displayed here. It's surprising to me. It would have been justifiable for Naomi to be selfish... In order to get security but she chooses a different path but then as the story unveils let's pick it up in verse 10 it speaks about ruth who says to her and she and she said to her we will go back with you to your people but naomi said return home my daughters why would you come with me I, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even uh, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried until then? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And as they wept aloud, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave or turn my back to you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people would be my people and your God, my God. Where you would die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Then Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her and she stopped urging her. Now there is an incredibly surprising loyalty. We see the humility and, and, and the sense of selflessness in Naomi, but the response to that in, in Ruth is the surprising loyalty, not just a, a, a surprising selflessness, but a surprising loyalty this time in Ruth, in one of the daughters-in-law. You, you, you can see in her a surprising courage. I mean, this would have been incredibly difficult for Ruth. It took a lot of courage for her to say, Your people will become my people. Once again, you gotta realize this. For Ruth, being loyal to her mother-in-law, to Naomi, would have meant going into enemy territory as a hated, despised, gentile foreigner. It took a lot of courage. Because loyalty always takes courage. It would have meant an incredible sacrifice. She would have put her life on hold. Where she could have had a future in her home country, being close to her own flesh and blood family, she chose to step into the total unknown and sacrifice everything because she wanted to be loyal to her mother-in-law. I love the emotional reaction in, in, in these ladies. And it just talks about the bond of relationships. They wept. So there's a release of emotion and they wept out aloud. There's a sense of a magnified emotional response in them because there is love there. And tears often... Are the signs of the love that is there. And Orpa takes the offer and she chooses to stay. And Ruth clings. She doesn't follow suit. She doesn't follow what her sister-in-law did. But she decides, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to follow my own path. And my path is going to be one of loyalty to Naomi. Orpah can do her thing. And I'm going to choose to do my thing. I'm going to choose to be loyal and the language that she talks is almost a language and very often these passages used at weddings it's the language of really clinging and cleaving it's the two become one their friendship is so deep and their loyalty is so profound that she says wherever you go i'm gonna go wherever you're gonna die i'm gonna die i'm gonna be stuck with you i'm gonna be with you the two of us are so close and she was unmovable. Naomi tried to convince her. Orpah chose to, to... There could have been excuses for Ruth to say, well, you know, if my sister-in-law is going, or, well, if I would have known that she's going to come with us, maybe we could have stuck together. Three is better than two. And when Naomi kept insisting, it's like one of those when somebody's trying to convince you to do something, you don't quite want to do it, but you're too embarrassed to say no. And once they keep insisting, no, you don't have to do it. Oh, all right, then. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. We, we know those kind of games this isn't the case this is a surprising loyalty and Ruth is unmovable in her desire to cling and cleave with Naomi and I love the interesting thing that somehow God makes his way into the speech that Ruth is giving to Naomi when she's trying to explain to her and she is, is is very interesting she says Your people would be my people and your God will be my God. And then she says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. God is almost making his way into Ruth's heart. There's a beginning of something. And that tells me about the spiritual influence that Naomi and her family would have had on Ruth, that Ruth began. To have an understanding of who Yahweh was. Who the God of the Israelites was. And that maybe compelled her. Maybe that's the secret of her loyalty. She discovered God. She tasted what what a wonderful God he is. And she wanted to make that really courageous step of faith. By choosing loyalty. Because maybe she had that confidence in God. A surprising selflessness. A surprising loyalty. And then a surprising return. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Wow. Now, there's another surprise. There is a local reaction. And let me tell you, if you would have been in Naomi's sandals, the last thing you wanted to do is for the whole town, to see you come back after 10 years, the way she was coming back. And the exclamation that the women had, can this be Naomi? It's probably as politically correct as somebody looking at a lady who seems to have gained a little bit of weight and asking her if she's pregnant when she's not. It's probably like that. It would have been an awful thing to say to her. I don't know why. I don't know whether she looked any different. I don't know whether the fact that she brought Ruth with her was the issue, but they were just pointing out a painful obvious, that she was returning home. She could have been embarrassed. She could have been embarrassed because she fled Israel and went to live in enemy territory. She could have been despised because of it. She could have been embarrassed by the fact that she was economically broke. She was destitute. She lost her financial support in her life. She could have been filled with bitterness because of the loss that she would have had of her whole family. People could have stood in judgment over her and said, see, it's because you left for Moab, God cursed you. Who knows? One thing is for sure. There's a whole commotion going on as she returns. And I think she would have absolutely loved for her to come in a stealth kind of way, understated, without anybody realizing she's back in town, keeping a very low profile. she's bitter and she's feeling affected by God. And she says that. She's calling herself by a different name and the name that she's calling herself, Mara, is a name that has a link to Exodus chapter 15, where God's people tasted the bitter waters. And there's a link to murmuring because God's people murmured. So I wonder whether, again, she's very subtle about it. And it's almost like the the the, the the subtitles on what she's trying to say is, I'm not happy with God. I'm cheesed off. I'm disappointed in him. She says, God afflicted me. The Lord has afflicted me. Again, it reminds us of Job's words in Job 27, verse 2, where he says, God made my soul bitter. You see, both Naomi and Job struggle with God, struggle with the context of their life, struggle with what seems to be happening and God's absence in stopping some of those things. But the reality is God is still in the picture. God is part of their spiritual framework. He hasn't left. They're struggling with God, but God is still in. And the expression she uses, she uses two expressions when she refers to God. Twice she calls God the Almighty, and twice she calls him Lord or Yahweh. The Almighty was the the word Shaddai, which talks about strength. And the other one is the God of the covenant that we find in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And two out of the four expressions refer to God being strong, the Almighty, and two being God, who is the God of promise and covenant. God is still part of the framework, but the return that she brings is not what she expected. The suffering that she went through skewed her understanding of what was happening, but didn't change her view of God, a God who is faithful and a God who is almighty. And, you know, the journey was only partially completed physically. She came back. She was back where she'd left from. But spiritually, the journey is still going on. And we're going to find out as we journey in the next few chapters. Somebody talking about this, one of the commentators said, her body may have made the journey home, but the spirit was still to be restored. And that's the truth of this story. You know, Naomi got this absolutely right. Even when we couldn't make sense of what God is doing here, for her, God is still sovereign and faithful. How do we make sense of everything?